Hello, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. I am your host, Eric Tenkar, your bartender in the OSR, your main proprietor at the Tenkar's Tavern Blog, Facebook group, MeWe group, Discord server. Come on. You know you want to. Join one of them. All right, so yesterday on the blog side, tenkarstavern.com, I uh, mentioned talked about something that I thought was interesting. That there is apparently OSR community content at drive through And to me, that's like an oxymoron because OSR generally means, to my mind, it's old school and it's open. You can be an old school RPG. There are a lot of them out there that aren't OSR. We don't even know what OSR officially stands for. Old school renaissance, old school revolution, old school role-playing, whatever the fuck it means. But the way I've always seen it in my mind is that OSR, part of that O in OSR also meant open. Maybe I didn't say it like that fully on, on, on a blog post. But I did say, talk about the, you know, OSR, to my mind, always meant falling under the open game license. All right. So you could have things like uh, OpenQuest, which is an open OGL version of uh, basic role playing, basically. Definitely OSR to my mindset. Okay. So <clears throat> I posted that. There's an OSR community content on drive-thru, and it is pretty much universally all for Zweihander, because Zweihander is, uh, considers itself to be OSR, and it's the only community uh, program that is tagged as OSR. Therefore, if you want to know what the hottest community for old-school revival content is, it's going to come up as Swihander releases. Now, <clears throat> Daniel Fox, uh, writer publisher of Swihander, which is a great game, by the way. Don't get me wrong; it's certainly uh, inspired by uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, uh, first and second editions, the classic editions, if you ask me. So he explains a few points for clarification. That again, my post wasn't. Wasn't a deep one. I'm going to go a little bit deeper here because I'm going to be quoting from Daniel Fox and Rob Conley. Uh, my cat is touching my keyboard, and I, if you touch my keyboard and you make things scroll, Ashley, then I can't do my podcast. So you have to move to the side. Uh, from Daniel, thanks for the post. A few points for clarification. So why handed Grim and Perilous RPG was released under Creative Commons license non-commercial. That means that anybody can remix, reduce, create their own free content unbound by license. And that that is certainly true. But Rob will have comments that build off that. Commercial efforts for community content can be monetized through the Grim and Perilous Library. Our Dungeon Master Guild at Drive-Thru RPG. They are released in PDF print-on-demand starting in February. Commercial efforts can only be released via Drive-Thru. Uh, RPGs powered by Zweihander, a commercial IP license, are released by Andrew McNeil Publishing. Never even heard of that, but there's an, com- there's an upcoming Colonial Gothic Room and Parallels RPG. Now, that actually is interesting. 
Uh, my design and intention, the argument with this why hand RPG is OSR isn't ours to make, but our fans believe it's an OSR game. The OSR is one of the design principles when it was written, influenced by Maelstrom and other older games that hadn't been revived at the time, so that's why we categorized it as OSR. OSR isn't just D&D, it may have started there, but there are numerous examples of games classified as OSR that aren't D20-based. <clears throat> Be that as it may, again, old-school RPGs and OSR RPGs do not... They, they, there's an overlap. If you're talking it like, what's it, a Venn diagram? We have those overlapping circles. Uh, OSR and old school certainly overlap, but they are they they don't they they aren't. It isn't a complete overlap. Okay, there's an intersection, but there are exceptions that don't fit both categories. So Rob Conley responded on batneyattic.blogspot.com. If you don't read. Rob's blog, I suggest that you do. He's been doing this for longer than I have. And he, he's he got some good thoughts. Even if you don't agree with Rob, you you, you got to admit that his arguments are always well thought. So I'm going to quote some from Rob with his permission. Uh, the old school renaissance, or OSR, and again, I'm, I'm going to say this again, we don't always agree on what OSR actually stands for, let alone the definition of OSR. Like I said, old school revival, old school role playing. But old school renaissance or OSR rests on the foundation of open content released under the open game license. Again, <clears throat> as I've said in the past, you wouldn't have the OSR without the OGL. The OGL allowed the rewriting or the uh, farming of or the reinvention of third edition rules, three X rules, to uh, bring back old school rules, building upon the third edition rules and the open game license. So, uh, open content would allow the segment of the hobby to become uh becomes more than just a regurgitation of classic D&D content and tropes. For everyone who worked and supported the classic editions, as is, dozens more emerged to take them into a new direction. New genres are infusing a new version with a different tone or tenor than the originals. All this was possible because of the use of open content. It placed no restrictions on the next author's imagination. The main requirement being that anything you used or is based on open content, must also be open content along with retaining proper credit. So you can build on prior author's works, expand upon it, reinvent it, re-express it, give them credit for it, but not compensation for it. That's part of the OGL. Remember, you give credit, but you don't give compensation to the prior writers. That's fine. That's what it's based upon. Um, for over a decade, this has fueled an amazing array of works and products using not only classic edition of D&D, but older games as well, including a hybrid, including hybrid fusion, older concepts with newer mechanics and ideas. The result is a dazzling array of products and works for anybody uh, whose tastes lie within the tabletop role-playing hobby. 5,000 plus on drive-thru RPG site alone. And then, yes, there are individuals and companies that don't contribute open content, yet try to take advantage of the OSR label. Label. Now, this is 
again, quoting Rob here, one of them is Daniel Fox and his right-handed game. And he refers to my post and he links to it. And uh, not me pointing out the incongruity of having an OSR community content program. The argument that Daniel makes is disingenuous. The debate isn't what rule system is to be considered part of the OSR. The debate is whether open content is to be the primary driver of the OSR. The first thing to keep in mind is that Zweihander is a result of Daniel's own work. While inspired by the first two Warhammer editions, it is not a clone in the sense that Osric, Labyrinth Lord, or Swords and Wizardry are clones of various classic editions. It is a system that is designed to appeal to the fans of early editions of Warhammer Fantasy, and it's easy to be understood by those fans. It's important to understand that because this means that in regards to Zweihander IP, Daniel has complete control over how it is presented and used, which is fine. Unlike the situation I, and this is Rob, have with Judges Guild where I'm a licensee and that's limited to what I can do with it, uh, for the recent Wilderlands releases, only the Monster and Treasure section was released as open content. But where I do have complete control, I tend to release the work as open content under the OGL. For example, Black Marsh. And much of the material found in Stuff in the Attic. Why? Because that's what Rob believes. Rob believes that if you're working off the OGL, if you're working within the OSR, that you should be sharing your work for others to work off of. Um, as for the OSR label, what it what it is is largely the work of hundreds of authors doing their own thing. My voice may reach a larger audience, but I don't have any bigger say about what the OSR means than the individual who just shared their first adventure last week. But I'm not going to stay silent when I see people not contributing, or in Daniel's case, justifying why they're not sharing. And then he starts to break it down. Uh, <clears throat> Zweihander Grim and Powerless, released under Creative Commons, non-commercial. And as Rob puts it, it's a nice thing. However, he Rob feels it's not sufficient. Uh, the reason many in the OSR prize the freedom to commercialize their work is that many projects need some kind of return in order to happen. You have to buy art, editing, layout services. You need your time. You can. This is me talking now. You can have <clears throat> ideas, but not have the time to do it. Or you have the time to do it if you have to take away some of your family time, right? So if you're going to take away family time, the ability to commercialize your efforts is what many see as OSR, right? I mean, Osric was originally written not to be played. It was originally written as a tool for publishers to make content that was compatible with AD&D 1st Edition and 2nd Edition to some extent. Uh, and so this, these rules, you could say, oh, these, this adventure is made to be played using the Osric rules. But Osric was AD&D 1E. It was expected that players on their end would be using the 1E books. So Osric was initially written as a tool for publishing. Think about that. And a tool for not just the people who wrote the Osric rules that put it together, okay, um, but for people who came after them because it was under the OGL. It was later that they realized, well, people are actually running games using the Osric rules. Let's tighten them up and re-edit them and re-release them. Uh, just a side note. My, my my bit of adding history to this podcast. So, uh, continue with Rob. 
Keep in mind that most OSR projects are written, produced, and sold within somebody's time they have for the hobby. Usually the income there, uh, these, these works generate won't make them rich, but just enough to make it possible compared to what else they could be doing in that time. Like I said, not spending time with your family has a cost. Okay, and maybe that maybe if you're making enough money through your work on the side that you can take your family on vacation later, you're 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 not going to get wife aggro. Did, did I say that? I mean, but yeah, it, it's 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 part of it, right? Spend too much time on the hobby, and and other things will suffer. So if you're at least if you're making some kind of income off your efforts, and that can go toward making up for the time lost. Uh, now, this this is is where Rob. The following part is where Rob always. This is a big deal for Rob. It should be a big deal for anybody who publishes using the community programs over on DryThorpeG. Uh, here's going back to Rob. Several second every program except a Genesis Foundry, but including Grim and Perilous Library has the following restriction. This expert is taken from the license attached to the Grim and Perilous Library. Uh, except for short promotional excerpts, use to promote your work. You may not display, recreate, publish, distribute, or sell your work or, or derivatives thereof outside of the program administered on OBS websites or through other platforms or channels authorized or offered by owner. Exclusive License your work. Effective as of the date you set up your work through the program on OBS's website, you grant us the exclusive, irrevocable license for the full term of copyright protection available, including renewals to develop. License, reproduce, print, publish, distribute, translate, display, publicly perform, and transmit your work in whole or in part in each country in the world in all languages and formats, and by all means now known or later developed, and the right to prepare derivative works of your work. The implication of the above is twofold. The first is that you can't bring an existing work or existing open content into a worked release within a Grim and Perilous library. Second, any work you release first within the Grim and Perilous library, you lose the right to use it outside the program, even if you remove all the Zweihander or IP. So Rob continues, in effect, if you wrote the Cave of the Night Warlock for Zlyhander, you can't release it later for D&D 5th Edition, even if you removed all the Zlyhander IP. Uh, Rob has been fighting this, uh, and as he points out, um, there's now an return to a few months back, the Genesis program at uh, Fantasy Flight Games, uh, had an outcry on this issue, and Fantasy Flight had OBS changed the license. They removed the clauses limiting derivative work and putting out new limits saying only FFG IP has to be removed for a work to be used outside the program. So that is, I guess you could say, a significant issue. And it, it doesn't really address, you know, the whole OSR. And, it, it, and listen, I, I've been uh, blogging for about a uh, a decade. I, I've been podcasting here on this podcast for nearly two years. And seriously, um, I've yet to see anybody agree on what OSR it actually means, although it usually comes down to it's like pornography. I know it when I see it. 
not that not that the OSRs like pornography, except to some people. But I digress. You can read Rob's post in its entirety on batneyattic.blogspot.com. Um, there is conversation on this going on both on my original post at tankarstavern.com and where I've shared it on on Facebook. My my opinion it it's weird to see just one publisher own all the OSR community content, but there's only one publisher that has community content. Figure that one out. Uh, the only other one that might have had a category like this, might have come into this uh, situation issue, sort of, would have been, uh, you know, Frog God Games with their Lost Lands. But Lost Lands, which could have been published under a community program and opened up, but you've been, they would have been opening up to the point where I, I don't know how it would work under a community license such as this, because I think that they're going much more open uh, than any of the restrictions that I've seen in these community programs on drive-thru. But I, I'm glad that Fantasy Flight Games, of course, now they're backing out of the RPG publishing, if not in the whole, then in a large part. Uh, I'm glad to see that they realized, yeah, we're why do we need to be so restrictive? I can understand you're protecting your IP, but taking control of the IP of others to such an extent, I, I don't understand it. So, uh, but, you know, Daniel has a valid point too. I mean, but it, it comes down to, is it OSR or is it old school? Okay, and I think that uh, drive-through defines OSR as anything that is old school. And I think the people that consider themselves as part of the OSR, most of us have a distinction between what is old school and what is OSR. And I lean toward OSR, including open, you know, open source role-playing, right? OSR, open source role-playing. Maybe that's another idea uh, of how to look at it. In any case, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that matter. Uh, you know, this this episode went a little bit long, and I, I apologize for that, but you know, shit happens. Uh, I'll probably take a nap after that shit. Uh, as always, folks, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review, leave us a ranking, or rating, whatever, whatever they call it. And uh, as always... Be safe, be well, God bless, roll those dice, and I will talk with you all tomorrow. Later, folks.